0: the number one hit music station. More music, more variety. Welcome to The Alternative, playing today's new country. Oh, sorry, I was just practicing. I'm Matt from Matt Fogarty Voiceovers. I know you want to listen to your podcast, so I'm going to keep this super brief. If you're a program director and you're looking for a fresh sound on your station, hit me up. I'll do a free, no obligation sample for you, and you can get a really good sense for how I'll sound on your station. Get in touch at mattfogartyvo.com. I'm seriously sitting by my computer hitting refresh right now. Email me. Do it.
1: This is the podcast for broadcast. Sound off, sound off, sound off podcast with Matt Kendall.
2: Kevin gets on the podcast this week. See what I did there? Yeah. That's one of the things I learned over the course of my conversation with him. Kevin does swing at 1021 The Edge in Toronto and has released a new album of his airwork on Apple Music or iTunes, if your computer still leans that way. Kevin has been wondering about the role of the spoken word and his audio, and where it resides in the annals of our content ecosystem. Video has YouTube, and audio has... SoundCloud. Yeah. A few weeks ago, I was on this show and talking about the value of the spoken word, and that it should be regulated along the same lines of music. Now, we had some reaction in favor of that idea, uh, but not from the people that it would take to make that happen. You see, no one at the government level or radio would ever rush to create more regulatory work. But Kevin's idea to release an album of his art had me thinking a lot about how talent should look at their content. I reached out to Kevin Getz on his day off. Have you suffered or do you enjoy any of the side effects from growing up in Pickering?
0: Are we talking about the power plant?
2: Is there anything else in Pickering?
0: The joke has always been that uh, I I grew up next to the power plant and that's what made me active in radio because it's like a radioactive joke, Uh, but it's not a very funny joke. So I stopped telling that one a while ago. What was your earliest encounter with radio? Probably there was a television show on YTV when I was growing up called Radioactive about these kids in high school who hosted radio shows, which I thought was just the coolest thing ever. And then when I got into high school, my high school um, had a radio program. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. And that's where I learned that not everybody thought radio was the coolest. And I was like, you guys aren't taking this radio class. You're not taking like you're not learning how to be radio hosts. That's crazy. This is this is awesome. So I took the radio class in high school and then just kept rolling from there into the next step of whatever radio
2: was. So somebody floated that by the other day and it went through my, my Instagram. But tell me a little bit about that show. Honestly, I couldn't even tell you an episode
0: If I had to try, I just remember it being the coolest concept of kids in high school who were apparently never in class, but they were hosting radio shows. And uh, at the same time, I, I was I had a radio in my room. I wasn't allowed a television and Internet was still years away. So that's what I did. I would listen to the radio at night and I would uh, go up and down the channels in Toronto or I would like listen to the Leaf game and then listen to uh, Leaf talk afterwards. And then when the Leafs weren't playing, I would find an FM station to listen to. So I was just kind of bouncing around thinking radio is cool.
2: So when you graduate from high school, what are your plans after that?
0: Uh, originally, I had been doing uh, radio in high school for a couple years. And, you know, they ask you, hey, what do you like doing? And I was like, I I don't know. I like doing radio. So I did some research into some uh, media programs and I had applied to uh, do like radio and television. because I thought those two pairs go well together. And I was uh, waitlisted for the radio and television program at Ryerson. And that was disappointing. So I thought, okay, I'll try again next year. So I went back and I upgraded all my high school classes. And I was like, yeah, this time I'm going to get in for sure. And I got waitlisted again which was doubly disappointing. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with uh, trying this. So uh, I had also applied to Humber for specifically just radio, something I knew inside and out. And I thought, I can build on this. I can try and do this. So I accepted uh, the position at Humber, and I went for just radio. And uh, I've never really done television since, really.
2: It's just been pure radio. It's curious you got waitlisted. You have audio and demos.
0: Yeah. I have audio going back all the way to high school. I made a nice video demo for them. I put everything I had into that, but it's a very in-demand program. So even, you know, people who are perfectly qualified don't get in.
2: And so after you're done your stint at Humber, you find your way out west. Was it to Chilliwack?
0: It was. How much do you know about Chilliwack? Nothing. Okay, so there's a band called Chilliwack. I knew that. Okay, they're not from Chilliwack. They just—they're uh, from Vancouver. They thought the name Chilliwack sounded cool, so they took it. I learned that when I got to Chilliwack, but it is an absolutely gorgeous city, 360-degree mountain views. My first real experience with mountains. It was uh, a, a larger city than I think most people start out in, so that was kind of a nice experience. But uh, once I got there, the the goal was how do I get out? What's next?
2: I didn't like Chilliwack as a band. 1982. My Girl, Gone, Gone, Gone. Yep. Very impressionable listening to the radio. And you learn that you like some songs and you don't like some songs. That is a song I did not like.
0: Oh, I like all of it. I I have uh, that record on vinyl. It's part of my collection now.
2: What was your first job when you were in Chilliwack on the radio?
0: I was uh, swing. So I was evenings, weekends, but I also held the title of like assistant promotions coordinator or something, which just meant I called people who had won prizes And then I think I I updated like the promo calendar or something. That was it. That was all I did. But I was working there, you know, full eight hour days with an hour of lunch and hosting a show in the evening and then uh, coming in on weekends, hosting a weekend show. And then I was voice tracked on my days off. So I was on the radio seven days a week and nobody ever questioned if I ever got days off because I guess people weren't paying attention that closely.
2: Do you still have your audio from Chilliwack saved? Tons. When you go back to listen to it, what do you hear?
0: Uh, potential That's uh, I, I'll listen back to it every now and then and obviously I don't remember everything I said um, but I have so much audio saved because every month I felt like I was much better than the month before so it's like okay I'm going to make a demo this month and then it was like well no hold up next month the next demo is going to be better so I literally have shows saved for months and months on end and I listen back to it every now and then for fun and I think that was a fun idea that was kind of interesting it was maybe a little long winded or maybe not exactly how I would have done it now but then other times I'll listen and I'll be like I'll listening along and I'll be like oh I know what kind of joke I could end this on and I actually ended on that joke so I'm kind of thinking on that same wavelength so that that potential is there it's just it's been polished up a bit since then
2: this is fascinating stuff because I used to record myself as well but I don't think a lot of people in radio do this they don't listen back to their audio to do a self-check it's I think one of the most underrated things, and it's probably the best thing you can do if you want to get better at your craft.
0: And it's a weird parallel universe thing because you are listening to yourself, but you don't remember what you said at all. So it's your only chance to really hear yourself in a way that you're not familiar with, which is a strange experience.
2: I have to admit, I'm a little bit jealous because you get to keep all this stuff on a hard drive and then you take it and carry it around with you and you've accumulated it over all these years. So... I did a lot of my on-air work in the 90s where we didn't have, you know, the audio technology, you know, MP3 hadn't really come out. We hadn't, you know, it was a bit of a pain in the ass to save. Thousands of hours of interviews on a reel-to-reel machine, which was stored by Rob Vavrick, who's now the program director at 100.3 The Bear. And I think he threw it all out sometime in 2005 when they needed to, you know. But there was, you know, interviews with Mick Jagger and, and, A tool and filter, and just about every band who you know came through Edmonton at the time, and all that stuff is is largely gone. However, in front of me here, don't know why, and I can show this to you. I've got cassettes, nice, and this these are my air chucks from I don't know when. These go back to 1990, and I just have I've got nothing to play them on. And I'm going to try to move them over to something digital when I find the machine. I think I can get something online, but you know, carrying your audio around, it's I've never thrown them out. I've just always kept them.
0: Yeah, I got lucky. I've had digital audio since high school. And uh, that was kind of the big thing around the time was MP3s were becoming big. And the idea of saving your audios MP3s was kind of the trendy, fun thing to do. And I'm glad I did because I still have some high school audio.
2: So that's a lot of audio that you've saved up. You know, I have to physically carry around these cassettes and reel-to-reels, but you have all this hard drive data. So how do you... Keep it so it doesn't all disappear. And how many gig do you have saved up? Uh, I would classify myself as a digital hoarder. I've
0: saved pretty much everything I can. Even on my current laptop, I have files going back probably to high school or college that I just always keep because you never know when you're going to need them again. So keeping my audio is nothing super strange, but I have like a one terabyte hard drive and I just have a folder of, I don't know, I think it's just called radio stuff and going back, audio, demos uh, resumes, anything I've ever sent to a radio station is just part of that folder. Is there anything up in a cloud somewhere? Um, yes, I think I have a Google drive somewhere that has audio in it. And I think uh, that's not as well organized just cause I would throw things on the Google drive just to get them, uh, get them home. So I, you know, go from the station, pop them on the drive and then I'd have them at home, but, uh, they're up there. I just don't know what I'm going to do with them at some point.
2: I have the same sort of hoarding problem as well. So this is episode 220, I think, that we're doing of, of the podcast. And every raw interview that I've ever done has been saved. I've never thrown a single one out. And even after the show is produced and done and sent, and then I get back a, a produced copy, I still keep the original audio. Yep. So what
0: is this illness we have? I, I call it a superpower. <laughs> I have everything. If I ever need something, I know exactly where it is. I can go back and grab that.
2: And you're also cataloging it in your head because absolutely. Yeah. I'm cataloging the stuff in my head that when, and I think that's part of being a performer. When you, when you are talking to somebody in an interview and you want to go and pull out an old piece of audio, you know, in your head where it is, where you can reach for it, pull it, and then bring it into the show. And it's so much easier now that I don't have a bunch of flash
0: drives because that's where my audio used to live was on flash drives. Now it's just all on one hard drive that I just have. So I know it's on there somewhere.
2: What do you do with all the hard drives? Do you scrape them after you, you move the information off? Or
0: uh, At this point, I have not filled up this one I have. It's one terabyte that between between that and my laptop, I have everything that I've ever done on it.
2: You eventually do escape from uh, Chilliwack, which you admitted was the goal, and you found your way to Vancouver, and it was uh, 94.5 The Beat. Yeah, The Beat
0: 94.5 is Vancouver's number one hit music station. At that point, I had one year of radio experience doing classic rock and active rock, but uh, the program director there liked what I was doing and uh, gave me the job doing Swing on The Beat, which was my first real experience at Major Market, my first real experience at Top 40, It was uh, different. Tell me different. Um, When I was in Chilliwack, we had a small crew of maybe, I don't know, nine, ten people. When you get to Vancouver, you're responsible for your show and that's it. So I would do my show and I'd go home. There was no promotions. You know, there there was no loading up the car. There was no street team. There was no setting up my own remotes. I was I would show up. I would do my show and I would go home. And that was like getting called up to the big leagues. That was really cool. And you got to work with Johnny Staub. I did. Yeah. At that point, he had just been uh, promoted up to the morning show. So that was really cool. And like we were I I, I worked there for five and a half years and we had the exact same like the exact same morning show drive, midday, evening, the exact same staff, pretty much for the entire five and a half years I was there.
2: And then they flipped to Virgin and then shortly
0: after they let you go. I mean, depends on your definition of shortly. I think they flipped in like 2015 and I was let go in 2017. Okay, so then not so shortly. Yeah, but there, there, there was, I,
2: I hung out there for a while. And how was Virgin received as opposed to the beat? Because, you know, people call it something, and then you try to change it, and does it work?
0: I think it was a fairly seamless transition, just in the fact that they kept all the on-air staff the exact same. It was still, like, we were still Vancouver's number one hit music station. The only thing that changed was we went from being everything was blue to everything was red. And we would just say Virgin instead of the beat. It was the same music. It was the same people. And they did a really good job leading into it to kind of play and have fun with it with all the ad campaign. So I don't know. It was fairly well accepted within like two weeks.
2: Did you drive back from Vancouver to uh, to Ontario after you uh, moved on from there?
0: I couldn't, but I eventually did. That was kind of the dream was to when I moved out west was, okay. one day I'm going to get to drive back to Toronto. But when I got my job in Toronto, they're like, can you start real quick? I was like, yeah, yeah, I can. So it was pack up what I could and then fly to Toronto.
2: Predominantly, you've been doing swing shifts. Entirely. And yeah, I know. So what that means is you're alone in the building crafting all sorts of stuff. I mean, what would ever happen to you? Do you think if you, well, I mean, I'm sure you filled in, obviously, in, in afternoons before. What's it like being around people versus not being around people in the building?
0: It's weird being around people. I know like when COVID hit and all the buildings emptied out, everyone's like, oh, it's so strange. You know, the cubicles are empty. The, the cafeteria, the break rooms are all empty. And I'm like, that's normal for me. It's weird when people are here. Like I'll walk up and down the hallways and run into nobody. And that's perfectly normal for me. That's how I've experienced radio my whole life. I th- that That building is mine. I can walk around and do whatever I want. I want to go up to the top floor and look out the window.
2: I can do that. Do you drink coffee? No. Yeah. You know why Well, i've never needed to wake up early yeah that's one yeah and two in the evenings when no one's around there's no coffee left anyway fair enough and i'm not going to make some yeah exactly but that's part
0: of part of the dream of the job is that i never have to wake up early when i wake up i never have i'm never in a rush to get out of bed i've never needed a coffee
2: in just a second we're going to talk about show prep and have the conversation the uncomfortable one about digital rights and who owns what. It is definitely something that any radio performer and content creator should be thinking about.
1: Imaging and production for radio made easy from Megatrax Production Music. Add a sense of British flair to your productions with London's No Sheet Music. From the team behind Wise Buddha, No Sheet Music are musicians and music fans. It's as simple as that. Their albums range from contemporary to classical orchestral to electronic and they're always usable and sonically excellent don't miss the hottest sounds by adding deep east music to your deal music from deep east elevates a story and amplifies a message with a serious buzz always fresh and intuitive and of course the highest quality they've always got their ears to the ground for the latest worldwide trends head on over to megatracks.com or call us at 818-255-7100 for your music licensing requests. That's M-E-G-A-T-R-A-X dot com.
2: Interestingly, though, you need to spend most of your day thinking about that you're going to be going to work all day. Yes. In that time, how are you prepping? What are you thinking? How are you living?
0: Uh, The prep never stops. It's 24-7. I keep a list on my phone of ideas of things I want to talk about. And I try and keep a uh, mental block like uh, when I have a day off, I try real hard not to focus on the next show until probably the afternoon, the day of the show. Is it a perfect block? No, the ideas will come through and I'll start prepping up a show accidentally and I have to kind of stop myself. But uh, it's it's twenty four seven constantly thinking. What's the next show? Or you know, if I have a really good idea, it's okay. How can I stretch that into an hour? How can I make this a big weekend topic? How can I involve people? So it's 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 constant. It's it, that's just the life.
2: And what tools do you have? You got your phone. Are you using any apps? Are you using anything to write this down or memorize or record?
0: Uh, the old rule used to be if I couldn't remember it, it clearly wasn't good enough. But I have found that I've probably forgotten a lot of good ideas. So now I just have like a note app where I'll just literally write down and I have to make sure I write like an entire sentence worth because I've done it before where it's point form and I'm like, ah, I'll remember this. And I'm like, what does this mean? I literally had one the other day that just said some stuff. What does some stuff mean? And I couldn't remember what it was. So I have to remember, write down a full sentence describing exactly what the idea is because I will forget.
2: What was your first year at the Edge? What was that like? Uh,
0: Really, really cool. Being at the Edge, that was the station I kind of grew up listening to I remember being in school and having like a portable radio. This is pre MP3 players pre iPods and everything. So I had like a portable radio player. It didn't have like any kind of uh, dial on it. So you couldn't tell what you were listening to. So once I found the edge, I remember just leaving it on the edge, having headphones in, working on big old computers, practicing your typing or whatever. So that's what I would listen to. So the idea when I got the job at the edge was this is really cool. And then it was what can I do? And the big difference I found working at the edge is that there's only one The Edge, so you don't really have to worry about, you know, if you do something at Virgin Radio, how does that look for the Virgin Radio brand across the world? Whereas The Edge, it's like, if you do this at The Edge, that's it. It's The Edge. We only have one The Edge. And that was, that was kind of neat because when I pitch ideas, I'm pitching it to the people who run the station.
2: So you're a bit of an idea factory, which is great. And you've compiled all this stuff and you've got all this audio. And then you come up with an idea to compile it all into an album Tell me about the album. I think the album is something I've wanted
0: to do a long time. Originally, it was going to be a Christmas album. When I lived in Vancouver, I thought Vancouver didn't have enough songs about Christmas in Vancouver because it doesn't snow there. The weather's not frightful. You can't build a snowman. So I took uh, Christmas carols and I rewrote them for like a West Coast Christmas. And I wanted to have everybody in the station sing them and we could like release this as a Vancouver charity album. Uh, which didn't really fly. We never really got around to doing that. But this idea of releasing an album was something I wanted to do because I'm just kind of jealous of people who get to do that. So when I was thinking of what can I do next, the idea of going through that digital horde of audio and finding things that I can release that I'm very proud of, that, that kind of came together as, okay, can I have all this audio? I want to share it with people. I want to let it have a second life. Oh, okay, let's release an album.
2: Why not? Why can't radio hosts release albums? You bring up an interesting question. It goes back a little bit to show prep. And that's when you come up or when you devise or when you present, uh, you know, a bit to your audience, are you really thinking about how evergreen it is and how much time you can get out of, you know, the break or the content
0: Uh, to a degree? I mean, usually I'm just coming up with, is this entertaining if it is? okay. how can I stretch this? How can I get the audience involved? Some of the stuff I do might be entertaining, but. It would never really work evergreen because it's not very uh, evergreen, really. A lot of the bits I do can be uh, specific to a certain weekend, which might not work, but a lot of the stuff on radio can, just like comedy, it, it can work forever. It's just observational. And it just so happens that I do observational stuff on the city of Toronto because I want to make it local. So it works.
2: And have you ever had some stuff that goes, OK, on Monday, I'm going to talk about the subject matter, but then I can bring it back again on Tuesday and add a little bit more to it. And on Wednesday, I can add a little bit more to it. Do you get into some content? Do you look, ever look at content that way? The, the content that can live for a
0: long time is an absolute savior to me when I'm looking to build a show. Um, so like on the album, there's a break called The Lucky Looney, which was me flipping a loony for every Leaf game to try and predict the outcome. And I was able to do that for seven weeks. So every Saturday, I would flip the Looney. Every Sunday, I would look at the results. So something like that is fantastic. And if I can come up with content that lasts a long, long time, that just makes my life easier for prepping. So um, any bit or any break or any game that I can repeat, that's, that's the goal. Something, something repeatable that's still funny and can be done multiple times.
2: You've raised a little bit of a of a point here. And I love this, by the way, because I, I think radio has missed a few things along the way when it comes to how we distribute the audio. We've always, you know, really focused on, on being live and in the moment and that it's a shared experience. And then people can start to personalize some of their, you know, content the way they want. And then radio, for instance, doesn't have a rewind button. It doesn't have any sort of on-demand component unless you go to the website. Do you think maybe we should be building the radio a little bit differently? How about a rewind button? Sure.
0: I mean, the world these days, every piece of content is on demand and shareable, on demand and shareable. Everything is on demand and shareable. But radio, if you listen to a break and you like it, how do you share that with a friend? How do you listen to that again? So, I mean, yeah, you might be able to put it online once you're done with that bit, but it gets buried within 24 hours. And that was part of the frustration of why I wanted to release an album, because it's permanent now. It, it lives forever. It's an album. And you can share it with a friend if you want. So that's that part of that frustration was my content goes out there. Maybe I spent a month working on this bit, coming up with this idea, tackling it. How can I get it on air? How can it be funny? But then if you're not listening at that exact moment, you don't get to hear it. Or if you are listening, but you live on the other side of the country, it doesn't matter because you can't listen to me.
2: And how much, by the way, does the album cost?
0: Uh, depending on where you get it from. Cause they add their own price to it. I think each track is like 99 cents. So it's like 10 bucks and all the money is going to a dog rescue in Vancouver called thank dog. I'm out. I didn't want to charge, but you have to charge when you're on any of these platforms cause they need to make money. So I figure I'll just give all the money to a really worthwhile cause.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking back to Terry O'Reilly who I had on this, on this show and all of his stuff was on iTunes and he was monetizing a little bit of it. And then at one point he just said. You know, I just think it should just be free and, and on demand and podcasters are sort of in this boat too. They love putting their stuff out there. They love people listening. I'm so happy that, you know, we have close to 3000 people every month who love radio enough to come and download this stuff. But at the same time, here's Spotify who have my content and I'm not being paid the same way Taylor Swift is being paid. So where do you see this going in the future? I don't know. I don't.
0: All I know is I found a solution to my problem, which was my content seems disposable. I go on air. I do this bit. No one ever gets to hear it again. So releasing an album to me solved that problem. What does radio have to do in the future to help this disposable audio problem?
2: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. And I guess that's that's why I asked the question a little bit about, you know, with with spotify and should they be paying anybody who's up there they're not even i don't even think they're paying the musicians enough but that's probably not no but again then why are we putting our stuff up there right i mean there's you're the content creator you've made a decision i'm going to put my stuff up on itunes and you know we're going to take the money we're going to be giving it to a worthwhile charity yep doesn't it just come down to marketing in the end
0: sure I mean, when I put something like this out,
2: when I put any of my
0: content out, I if I can get away with it, never tried to monetize anything I do. I'd rather 100 people see it and enjoy it than 99 and one guy back away because there's an ad on it. That's just been me because I'm always just trying to share my content. Everything I've ever done has always just been free. So when I released um, I, d- I did an animated short called How the Grinch Stole Christmas from Vancouver. That was months and months of work. I released it for free online just so people could watch it. That's all I want, just people to see my content. Will that be that way forever? I don't know. But yeah, right now it's here's what Kevin gets does. Enjoy it. There's there's no hidden cost. There's no agenda. Just I want you to enjoy what I'm making. That's where I'm at now.
2: I see you with two piles of audio, though. Is it fair to say that one pile is the stuff that you are giving to people, which is vital now, which is one of radio's greatest attributes but then you get this other wonderful collection of stuff that is you know evergreen and can be marketed and packaged up for later or on demand do you see your audio splitting into two piles not at all
0: i mean it might not be evergreen but a lot of great content isn't evergreen you can just enjoy it later on Uh, you know how many times i watched the jose bautista bat flip 100 yeah Does not make sense to watch it now out of context of the game? Not really, but you can still watch things out of time and enjoy them. So any content I have now that might not necessarily make sense, like if I'm talking about the pandemic in 2020, but I released that audio in 2022, people are still going to understand it. And if for whatever reason they don't, they can learn about the COVID pandemic two years from now. I don't know how they have forgotten it in two years, but
2: you can still do it. Do you have a wish list of what you would like right now for for radio to have if you could wave your magic wand and say, I would like this? Not particularly. Okay.
0: I mean, I'm never going to solve the problems that radio has. and I don't really think that falls anywhere near me. My problem is just I want more people to be able to listen to what I'm doing. So that's why I go out and, you know, hoard my audio and share it as many ways as I can.
2: Which brings me to the... uh very uncomfortable sort of question about digital rights. And this actually came up about three years ago on this podcast. And again, remember, I've got everything cataloged and I would go right back to, uh, you know, Sherry Lynch from the Bobbins Sherry show. She was one of the first ones to get on here and say, you got to pay attention to your digital rights, who owns them, what you're doing and how you're distributing it.
1: Now, imagine if everything you created belonged to somebody
2: else. And that's why it's so important to have your digital rights.
0: And I don't think
1: it needs to be a threatening sort of brinksmanship conversation um, when you're negotiating a contract. Because a radio, your radio station can and should and will benefit from you being an
0: awesome and successful on-demand digital content creator. They, I mean, everybody wins. It's just important for you if you're going to put heart and soul and blood and guts into it.
2: To know that you own it. When you're managing everything, how do you look at your intellectual property and digital rights and where it all lands for you? That
0: is the conversation of the decade of the last two decades. Everybody's always had issues with who owns what. And I think for the most part, it's always fallen on to the company owns it. And that's just the way it is. You know, it's their airspace is their air. It's their station. Anything you do on it is theirs. Is that perfectly fair? Probably not. Is that the reality of it? Sure. And when I wanted to release this album, even though everything I made on it is me, top to bottom, I did it all. I still need permission to use this audio from them, and that's that's just the way it is. I did this audio on 102.1 The Edge. 102.1 The Edge owns it. They own every bit I've ever
2: done. Do you find it weird, though, that, let's say, even after you were you know, let go from one of those companies, yeah, that... You know, what about doing a Facebook live or appearing on a podcast? Not that Chorus would do this necessarily, but I have heard some companies would be like, yeah, you can't do that either after we've let you go. You're still on a non compete. I mean, if that's your personal Facebook account or if that's your personal Instagram, I mean, how far do you think that extends?
0: Uh, I've been very aware of this for a long time. So even when I was back at Virgin, any ideas that I had. I would pitch to them. And if they didn't immediately like it, I would have them give me basically a legal waiver saying they don't own it and I can do whatever I want with it. So anything that I pitch to a station, if they like it, fine, I'm great. Let's do this. Let's work together. If they don't like it, usually I'm pretty good with saying, okay, if you guys aren't interested, can you write me up a thing saying I own this? So that in the future, if I want to do this, which I still own several things like that from Vancouver. In the future, if I want to do this, I own the rights to this and you won't come after me for it. So I, I've been fairly aware and careful of that.
2: It's fascinating stuff because I also know some program directors or some radio owners who will go to you know their jocks and say, hey, can you post this up on your Facebook or can you use your social media in order to do this? And if the person's not comfortable to put it out, then what happens? Because who owns that Facebook page?
0: If it's my personal page, I own it. If they want me to put the little thing on there that says tweets are of my own opinion, then they get to be my own opinion. So everything on my Facebook page, my Twitter, my Instagram, that's all me forever.
2: And then inside some of the legalese, though, from the owner might be that would be conduct detrimental to our brand.
0: Yeah, possibly. But if they want that separation to the point where if I say something stupid, they're not responsible, then if I say something good, they're also not responsible for it.
2: This is fascinating stuff. I'm I'm excited because I've been flagging this for many years, but nobody pays attention to any of this stuff.
0: Yeah. So I've been uh, I'm what's a good way to put it, paranoid about this sort of thing. I try to cover my own tracks with doing this sort of thing. I try to be aware of what I own, what I'm saying. And the good news is I don't think I'll ever be that guy who accidentally says something stupid and gets in trouble because I'm way too paranoid and careful about it. So I don't think it's ever going to come back to bite me, but uh, I make sure it's not going to. (laughs)
2: You know, a lot of people ask me, they say, how come more people don't do podcasts, you know, for the radio station? And I'm like, well, A, there are a lot of work. And then B, when said person leaves that position, the podcast stays with the station and it eventually goes in the garbage. So it's a complete waste of time. Yeah. I've actually had a conversation with somebody down, I think it was on Facebook, but his name's Gordon Firemark and he's the podcast lawyer. Now this is American law, but you and I are recording a podcast right now. You have not signed a waiver, correct? Correct. So who owns this podcast episode? As far as I'm concerned, you do. I know. That's what I say, too. But apparently you have a little bit of copyright in this. Interesting. We're in Canada, so I'm not sure if, you know, what happens here. And I'm not sure that because we're doing this in Squadcast and it's being recorded centrally, I don't know what country that's in and I don't know which laws of which land are going to pertain to this. So we don't really know who owns this podcast episode. And that's why I became a radio host and not a lawyer. Well, this is, it's fascinating stuff. So when you look to the future here, what platforms excite you? Video, YouTube, podcasts, anything along those lines?
0: I'm trying hard to create content for everything. I think the most fun I'm having now is with really short disposable stuff, Facebook stories or reels, things that I can post up and that doesn't have to be perfect because that's part of my problem as well as making sure everything's perfect. Because when you post it, it lives forever. But the built in disposability of something like Instagram stories is something that just really appeals to me now because I can make something funny and stupid and it's gone. But then the downside is, is it's gone, which is kind of a double edged sword on that. But that,
2: that's kind of what I'm enjoying doing now. Yeah, well, I'm loving the stuff you're doing and congratulations on on this album. And I I, I love the way you think. It's very futuristic. It's actually not even futuristic. Everybody should really be thinking about this now and how we do our content and how we distribute it and where it's all going. And uh, if you could just show me how to get my, my 1990 air check off these cassettes, I'd be grateful. I'm sure we could figure it out together.
1: Thanks for listening to the Sound Off Podcast. Find us online at soundoffpodcast.com and connect with us wherever great social media is housed. The show is imaged using the sounds from Core Image Studios.
2: Written and hosted by Matt Kondal,
1: a production of the Sound Off Media Company.